0: The Net Zero podcast is brought to you in association with ED's sustainable business covered podcast and is the only place where corporate sustainability and energy professionals can get under the skin of the world's most ambitious emissions reduction targets. So welcome and enjoy the journey to a Net Zero future. Hello, and welcome along to ED's Net Zero Business Podcast, a new spin-off podcast series focusing on the growing need for corporates to align their strategies with climate science by setting net zero emissions goals. Since the UK government set its 2050 net zero target into law, more and more businesses are attempting to get ahead of that political curve by strengthening carbon and energy strategies and pledging to become net zero businesses well before the 2050 deadline. As such, EDC's value in speaking with the trendsetters and trailblazers that have set such targets and those that are helping to assist the uh, transition to get the insight on just how much work went into getting uh, the net zero movement up and running. So each of these episodes features one in-depth interview with a business that has committed net zero strategy, or in this case, two interviews with those that are very much um, working towards net zero in different ways. So in previous episodes, we've spoken to the likes of Mighty and the National Trusts, organisations that have set net zero targets. For this uh, episode, we're going to be focusing on uh, what the net zero target means for some of the UK's low carbon markets, uh, those that are enabling this wider net zero transition. We're going to be delving into the world of smart grids as part of a master's theory supported by E.ON., uh, and that has included a downloadable explains guide which is available on the ED website and a 45 minute webinar on the topic which took place last week and is also available to watch on demand if you search Smart Grids Masterclass on ED, uh, you'll be able to register and watch that very insightful session. But to start I will repeat what was said in that webinar as it sets the scene perfectly for today's episode. Smart Grids are one of the most exciting global energy developments in modern times. They offer the potential to significantly reduce grid inefficiency, enable more interactive demand management, better integrate distributed power sources into the grid, enhance customer experience and facilitate new uses for gas and electricity. For decades, the structure of the UK's electricity system has remained the same. It's been large centralised power stations uh, that generate the bulk of electricity, which is moved closer to the users using high voltage transmission lines, then transfer to local low voltage distribution networks i hope you're still with me uh, on on this explanation the uk is also increasingly looking to new ways of reducing carbon emissions while integrating new energy generation technologies into the network aging coal-fired and nuclear power stations are being replaced by renewable energy systems and as the cost of technologies such as wind and solar continue to drop rapidly and energy storage technology continue to mature a new opportunity emerges to decentralise. As such, we are approaching a smart grid boom. In 2017, the smart grid market size was estimated at $67 billion, which is a lot. But it's also projected to reach $169 billion by 2025, which is a huge transformation. For this episode uh, we'll be hearing from our supporting partners Eon on the subject matter, but first up we're going to be speaking to one of the organisations that's really kind of forged out a leadership um, area in in the realm of smart grids. Um, Nottingham City Council uh, made a public declaration on the climate emergency and responded in January 2019 with a new carbon neutrality target. The Council's target came in response to the findings uh, of the IPCC's 2018 special report, um, basically heeding the case for urgent action in the next 12 years to avoid the climate crisis. Um, The City Council's Head of Energy Services, Wayne Bexton, joins me now uh, to discuss how energy flexibility and smart technologies are assisting in the Council's broader climate targets. Uh, Firstly, Wayne, how, how are you doing today? Thanks for joining me
1: hi matt yeah good to hear from you uh, yeah really busy matt I'm, I'm pleased to say so work on on the green recovery as a buzz phrase continues at pace and, and obviously a lot going on in nottingham
0: yeah green recovery is uh is certainly something we're focusing on at ed so um would love to touch uh on that and get your thoughts on that at some point um but thank you for for joining me today we we struggled um when we kind of put this episode together we actually struggled to get some end user organisations uh that are kind of willing or have enough of a grounds work in terms of projects to be able to talk about uh smart grid and flexibility um whether that's just us not know the right context or, or is it perhaps that the technology is still you know taking some use to it still kind of in its infancy or it's broad that people don't really know how what gets bundled up into flexibility as, as you know as a City Council that's been focusing on this for a while. What are your views? Is this a mature area of decarbonisation or, or is it just starting to pick up pace?
1: I think it's fair to say, Matt, it's starting to pick up pace. So we're, we're in a situation in Nottingham, as you rightly described, where we've got a number of projects now that'll contribute and support that smart grid and, and flex, those smart grid and flexibility ambitions. But I think in the the short term, it's been laying some of the groundwork to enable that. Um, So there's a number of strands of work that all link through to our umbrella commitment around carbon neutrality by 2028 that are really important, not least the planning context for the city um, and also our distribution network operators, Western Power, and their plans for the city, their own innovation plan, and how we can support, feed into that and ensure we're ready for Coal-fired generation to be switched off in 2025. So I think there's a lot of lot of groundwork that's been laid, and we're starting to deliver now some projects and and programs that are starting to contribute to that smart grid, um, flexible grid uh, um, future that we're we're all hoping to see.
0: Very good. And. In terms of um, that, that wider carbon neutrality target, is, is there any kind of indication of what impact this will have? And you, you mentioned some of the projects already, and we'll touch on a few more in a bit, but in terms of the, this basket of, of projects and solutions you have, is there any indication on the impact it will have in terms of um, decarbonisation, probably um, in terms of energy flexibility, some resiliency, maybe even some uh, money-making aspects for certain businesses through demand response? Has that, has that work been done yet?
1: A lot of that work started. So this is a really timely discussion, really, Matt. Last week, we adopted our carbon neutral action plan Uh, that's online and, uh, and available now. And that's a really comprehensive document which roadmaps that route to 2028. So vital, I think, for for making sure uh, the pub- residents, citizens, the public, businesses, communities realise that we're serious about the ambition and achieving that target. I think we're one of maybe only three cities to really roadmap that out in a lot of detail, and that goes into to each of the strands of work we want to commit to around commercial, domestic and transport. Crucial to that then is is joining them together um, and making sure those those threads interlink and that we can each of them support each other into a new vision for the city and what it's going to look like undoubtedly i think there's hurdles that we've we've probably yet to yet to overcome so despite achieving a 41% reduction in co2 emissions from a 2005 baseline which means we've got fantastic foundations to build on uh, we're still aware there's there's a lot of uh, lot of work to do in in joining up some of those those strands into a comprehensive Um, solution for the city and we need to look year by year ahead I think it's fair to say because what we're envisaging is um, a a bit of a a leap towards carbon reduction across the city that needs to then be sped up if you like by legislative changes and support through legislation but also technological advancement so in that eight-year period you know if we look back eight years from from today, obviously, we were in a time when maybe solar was particularly expensive and business cases were difficult. We're in a different scenario now in relation to solar, and, and similarly, we're hoping technologies advance really quickly. Uh, battery storage, uh, demand side response, works with our district heating, etc., uh, are all going to are all going to quickly advance in the in the coming years. So, year by year, we want to review that action plan, add detail to it, and enable um, enable a, a refresh on a on a yearly basis
0: so you you've touched on a lot of uh Technology solutions that are at varying levels of maturity, as you right mentioned, solar is very much kind of established. Some of the others are, are you know, starting to pick up traction and steam. But in terms of, I mean, you know, the, the city council's role in not just exploring those, but then being able to articulate what they are, the benefits they bring to a range of stakeholders across the city. I think one of the um, complexities around smart grids is, is that there's so much that can go into it, there's a plethora of solutions that actually. Articulating what um, a smart grid is and what energy flexibility can do is quite tough. So, how, how has that dialogue been?
1: A really, yeah, a really interesting, you're right, it needs interpreting, Matt. So, it's been a really interesting process, I think. And the consultation we did, we had over a thousand responses to from across the city. So, extremely positive feedback. Um, we we have a good reputation in Nottingham in relation to energy and sustainability, and residents and citizens have have come on that journey with us. And and by and large, they are hugely excited around Nottingham committing to a, a target that's ahead of any other UK city, and and really wanting to support, embrace that, and and obviously look at the benefits for for communities in and around the city. Um, I think. You're right, there's so much complexity to it that we try to put it into those um, bite-sized chunks as far as case studies, which is is great for interpreting what we're doing. Um, and there's, there's numerous of those that are, are happening around the city. You know, there's examples like our vehicle to grid work, where we are, we've transformed our uh, mechanical and electrical fleet to electric. So we've now got 40 uh, electric Nissan Leaf vehicles they uh, they go out and about, return to the same depot, um, and each day they they plug into a bidirectional chargers, um, and they decharge any remaining charge in the batteries in those vehicles into a large megawatt battery on that site. So typically, the analysis is telling us each of those vehicles comes back with 20, 30% charge in the vehicle. They come in at the end of the day with that charge remaining. Um, it decharges into that central battery that's been topped up by solar PV around the site. And then at that peak time, five, six, seven o'clock in the evening, um, that battery can that trade with grid and obviously generates a, a financial return for the council. And the, the vehicles charge up again through the, through the night time when it's, it's cheapest to do so and they're ready to go for the, for the same cyclical process again the next day that in a kind of nutshell of an operation is is quite exciting because people can see that quite from a quite straightforward perspective that okay this makes sense we're we're utilizing energy we're lo- utilizing renewables we're trading with grid and supporting the national grid and as a as a kind of complete picture it's um, it's an extremely positive positive vision and then you move on that to some of our some of our work out in the communities. So I think um, some of the listeners may be aware around our energy sprung pilot. So our deep retrofit to domestic dwellings, where we've taken some of the, um, the the hardest to treat Nottingham City Homes properties in in the city, and we've we've applied a deep retrofit methodology to get them to net zero themselves. Complete transformation in how they look. Solar PV, uh, exterior. Uh, cladding which is quite colourful as you'll see on some of the pictures um, and and insulation, smart monitoring systems, uh, low temperature district heating in some of those properties, so fantastic innovation and a a holistic approach and the residents absolutely love that uh, as an approach and has transformed some areas of the city we're, we're aiming to deliver another 450 properties where we have funding through European Regional Development Fund and, and Interreg Northwest Europe. And again, that's where we're really innovating and de-risking by bringing funding in, innovating, but also doing something really publicly facing that the community can, can see and understand what we're trying to achieve. So as an educational tool as well, uh, that's been a fantastic route to, to getting that message out there. So you've, you've outlined perfectly some of the benefits there, and it's almost, especially with the, the V2G
0: stuff, it kind of sounds like a triple win in terms of bottom line um, climate and, and in terms of your own uh, efficiencies as well. And yeah, at the start of this conversation, we kind of said that the market's there, it's, it's going to start picking up now. When something is, is essentially a triple win, it's surprising that not you know more organizations aren't looking at this. What, what's been kind of holding it
1: back recently and, and what's going to help accelerate that market forward? I think, Matt, I think it's fair, again, probably fair to say around about 20% of what we do is is really innovative, cutting edge as far as delivery. Um, so we are particularly good in the city at levering grant funding, funding from government, pilot funds, etc, to de-risk and enable us to get on and, and deliver on an initiative. The other 80% of what we do is is where it's it's been proven as a tech and it's standard. So solar is as an example. As we've touched on, we've got 5,000 domestic solar PV systems. Uh, we we own and operate another 60 plus commercial scale systems, ground mounts and and solar carports, canopies. So we're we're we've taken a, a lot of giant strides forward particularly over the last five years and the difficulty is if if you're an organization and and maybe you're you're considering the, the smart grid world or flexibility world from afresh it's, it's difficult to take that initial leap directly into it you've got to have a bit of a track record you've got to have some wins under your under your belt to feel the confidence to commit uh for the longer term and i think that's starting to happen and we're starting to see a shift in the marketplace the low carbon economy is is growing. Supply chains in and around some of the projects I've mentioned are maturing, and there's more confidence in those, and businesses are willing to commit to longer-term approaches. Uh, but still, I think there's a nervousness around around that commitment in something that's not a fully a fully stable place to operate. And I'd probably come back to the the DNO scenario again, where in Nottingham the grid is quite constrained. Um, We've got a really good relationship with Western Power Distribution, but um, whenever we're putting a new application in the grid connection is a major part of the business case and it it quite often falls down on that and we're working to alleviate those pressures on the grid in the city so we don't see business cases fall foul to a a really expensive uh, connection cost. So I think it's a mixture of all those Matt, I think the sum of it is around uh, around businesses being in the marketplace and, and having the confidence to commit but I do feel there's a momentum and I think coming out of COVID-19 green recovery as we've touched on as a as a buzzword and, and the, the kind of economic stimulus that's going to be needed particularly around the low carbon economy is going to enable hopefully this the whole agenda to advance quite quickly and I think just finally the realization probably that global issues can have a local impact is also ringing true in a lot of the conversations I'm currently having. Uh, so again, I think that realisation will help to fast track some of the thinking on this agenda.
0: Yeah, and you, you mentioned the green recovery and also the Boris Johnson kind of outlined the first snippets of a plan in terms of this, this kind of new deal for Britain as it's going kind to of be badged up. Um, sounds like the national infrastructure strategy is, is scheduled for autumn now, also delayed again, but at least we have a, some sort of date and that should outline, you know, um, some spending commitments around energy networks, for example. But in terms of this green recovery that, that, we're, that we're being promised by government, is there anything from a policy standpoint that will help accelerate this um, much more quickly?
1: We're, yeah, and I think I think again that delay is not great. We've certainly fed in in a lot of detail what we're what we what we believe are significant areas of opportunity. One big positive that is occurring around England is that there are now five energy hubs that have been designated by the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy we're fortunate enough to be one of those hubs in Nottingham which means we have responsibility for nine local enterprise partnership areas across the whole of the Midlands engine area so Welsh border to east coast and what that's allowing is money to come out of central government into those localities to enable innovation, smart thinking, joined up approaches across wider geographical areas. And I think that as a, as a devolution deal, if you like, so it's, it's us receiving money directly from government around energy projects and programmes, it's having a profound impact on the region. And we're starting to see uh, a number of projects come to life, but critically, a real significant pipeline of projects develop. And I think that's where stability from an investment perspective is needed. So if that's coming from private sources or pension pots or, um, you know, what, wherever it may be, or grant funding, that pipeline is needed to give reassurance that there's a long term approach and that this can be something that will will run and run. And certainly across the Midlands, we're, we're getting that now. And I was in a conversation this morning um with with our uh, local enterprise partnership across Derbyshire and Nottinghamshire, and in all the threads of the conversation um low carbon economy and energy matters were were getting referenced right in the in the at the top table of that thinking i think that's that's kind of been a significant change in maybe how things were being looked at even just a year ago
0: now great stuff and it sounds like um a lot on the horizon that could potentially really kind of drive this going forward, uh, Wayne. So maybe I, I might get in touch with you or in autumn, post uh, post NIS announcement, to get get your thoughts on what that could mean. But I'm um, I'm I'm wary of uh, Zoom and, and Teams fatigue. So I won't I won't keep you any longer, Wayne. But thanks so much for taking the time out of your schedule to speak to me today. Thanks, Matt. That's great. Take care. Right, moving straight on into the next interview. Then uh, we are now going to be hearing uh, from Eons. Uh, business and Community Solutions Battery Products Manager, John Martin. John was joined by uh, Caroline Damgard, a researcher at the Association for Decentralized Energy, um, early this week for an ED&EON uh, Smart Grids Masterclass that some of you may have tuned into. Uh, John, good to speak to you again. Um, it's becoming a bit of a habit, really.
2: Yeah. Hi, Matt. Hope you're well. Yes. Yeah, very, very well. Thank you.
0: Um, and I think probably the Masterclass is a good place. Um, To start, so for those listening that weren't aware, as I mentioned, uh, Edie hosted a 45-minute online webinar featuring John and um, Caroline, and they kind of outlined um, some best practice advice on businesses integrating with smart grids as part of the kind of net-zero, low-carbon transition. Um, John is someone that was speaking on the Moscow. What were your kind of key takeaways from that?
2: So yeah, I always think Matt, I think the three key things for it are, uh, one, you need to bring your organisation with you. So that could be from your your site teams, your operational teams uh, involved in the processes, um, right through to your senior managers and your directors. So there's a real briefing and there's a process. Um, and actually, um, the second point, with a lot of these, um, it's a stage process. So rather than just going straight for a large project, maybe you start, a, start a, initially start a, a stage one, a smaller project where you can start to see some uh, benefit uh, financially from it. And quite often that can be DSR dynamic um, response processes because actually then they can immediately start to uh, provide some financial benefit to you as a business and then you start to look until so you might do some DSR, so the demand side response. Then you may install some solar example and then at the same time you may then look to put a battery in, um, and followed by a heat pump. So uh, rather than trying to do a large project immediately, if you can do it in stages, um, that, that's a fantastic thing. And then the third point really is to try and align it with your processes um, and really talk to um, expert service providers out there about what the options are. If you can align it with your processes, and do it as a stage approach. Um, I think you can really get um, fantastic value for your business um, at the same time as really meeting um, your um, CSR, you, maybe your net zero targets you have in a business um, in a cost-effective business plan.
0: Yeah, I found the that kind of level system, um, the, the entry points and how to step up a really kind of good way to not get, I suppose, over inundated with the complexity of, of smart grids take take that entry point and build up from there um are, are there any kind of um benefits from from doing an oiling system or, or does going from the the dsr to the renewable assets and then to more advanced stuff like battery give you give kind of the business more confidence to do it that way
2: i think gives confidence i think yeah the thing um and i talked about it um, in the masterclass earlier in the week um i i thought the The fantastic part about that as well is is if you include the data part as well, so having the data stored in a a secure cloud um, with your energy management system, actually um, then it can give you uh, a view of exactly where you're getting your uh, benefits etc. So um, and actually how you maybe can sometimes um, say reduce power for example. So clearly, we've been through this unprecedented pandemic situation with COVID. Actually, that's given people with a smart grid the great opportunity to be able to review and, and minimise their any consum- energy consumption through that time. So, quite often, you talk about smart grids and you think about um, installing new new uh, equipment, but actually, having that smart and that intelligence in the system can also help you to. Um, reduce your revenues um, in this unusual situation and that could be the same in a normal working time. Maybe if you have a, a factory is open Monday to Friday but close Saturday and Sunday. If you have that intelligent smart grid with energy management um, actually on the Saturday and Sunday, then you can actually make sure you basically so got a minimal um, energy consumption uh, and you're saving the, the most amount of money at the same time.
0: OK, no, thank you very much uh, for your advice on that, John. And I think one thing we didn't get to touch on um, as much as we probably wanted to in the masterclass was um, policy and in terms of enabling this technology. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that the net zero transition as as a whole is probably going to um, enable a lot of low carbon smart technologies because the government's going to need to push out ways to help businesses get there. But are there any kind of policy enablers that that exist right now or ones that are probably needed to come by to really help accelerate
2: these type of technologies and solutions? So, a lot of policy enablers we obviously talked about on the DSR side were around products being in place today, so there's multiple different flexibility products which through um, VPP, so Virtual Power plants, you can um, utilise and actually stack those different products and stack those different revenues so if you have a battery on site for example within your smart grid you can utilize those products and we're seeing new products coming through from national grid to dynamic containment and um, hopefully in the near future uh, which would again assist the development of them um, I definitely think um, having that sort of that a certain level of roadmap of certainty of what the next policy developments are going to be be very helpful because it, it helps to give more certainty on a business case um, and i definitely also highlight that around um, evs electric vehicles about actually having a bit more certainty on what those what the policy guidelines will be on there and when they'll become um more key to to replace the uh, internal combustion engine um uh, cars which and vehicles which we're seeing today
0: Okay and in terms of the today then, um, I think especially in terms of battery technology which you referenced at the end there, um, I think on ED, the interaction we've had with businesses is that battery storage has been kind of on the cusp for a while in terms of it could be a real potential game changer for for, um, sustainable business, it could really be a differentiator in terms of giving them more control over low carbon generation Um, and the, the conversation seems to have just kind of stagnated a little bit there. Maybe it's because of plastics and net zero perhaps overtaking the agenda, um, but, but why is now, you know, how, you know, how has that technology um, evolved over the last couple of years and why is now kind of a great time for businesses to actually start looking at, at this as part of the wider kind of flexibility um, agenda?
2: Yeah, and absolutely, and I think you're right, Matt. The the plastics really came up and 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 pushed through, and you could see with the with the agenda, etc., politically um, and socially, that made sense. <clears throat> I think where, where we see with battery is historically um, the components um, that the natural resource components were very expensive, and the capex costs were expensive, and actually what we've probably seen in the last three to four years is that cost of battery nearly half or, so, or a half so that capex price has really come down which obviously helps to make the um, economic case um, much more achievable. Um, I think at the same time as we're seeing um, increasing numbers of things like solar um, go up and actually that's why I would say, I made the point in the masterclass, I, don't, I think if as a business you see battery on its own yeah. as, as a sole just installing it as a standalone solution. I always think that's an error. You very much want it to be as part of an integrated solution. And actually, if you have it as an integrated solution, potentially with solar, that really, it can really tickle the box of net zero um, uh, and, and lead your business in the right strategic direction. Uh, and I really see that with with the reduction in capex prices and the real focus on a lot of the battery business is about how they recycle the goods. So again it, it, in the masterclass I'd reference we've seen more second life batteries coming along where where parties are utilising potentially batteries that come, come out of electric vehicles and put them into commercial battery solutions. Um, we're really seeing um, a um, InnisVis approach um, to um, a, a sustainable future through a, a, an integrated battery solution
0: um very exciting times ahead then absolutely uh, john and i suppose then i mean 2020 has been a very disruptive year in terms of uh certainly for businesses through the the coronavirus pandemic um we're we're starting to kind of figure out what this new normal looks like um but obviously that's up to a lot of questions in terms of um i suppose this post covid green recovery as businesses try and really kind of uh ramp up resilience. What was the role that, that kind of Smart system Flexibility can play in that in your opinion?
2: So I mean clearly 2020 I think has been an unprecedented and such a you know unusual and overwhelming year in so many ways. Um, I, but very much we see that even through this um, I think we sort of, sort of through, through, saw business in three different ways. We saw some businesses who were clearly critical so continued actually somehow higher demand than ever. Other ones um, Sort of partially shut down but they were still had a lot of people who were available for discussions and actually still talk about solutions and other ones which others had to you know furlough large parts of their workforce and really step away from further investment um but i think what we see as things start to ramp up and we see it start to of the green shoots recovery is smart, the smart solutions are going to be key because the businesses still have these net zero targets and these emissions targets and actually where we see the noise is coming from government and off general regulation is that emissions targets and be critical moving forward and actually if we can find solutions and that's what we, we're working with our, our partner companies uh, and our customers with on and actually where they're um, economic and efficient business cases within a smart grid which offer also the net zero um, emission reduction uh, targets. That's fantastic, and we're we're actively working with parties um, on those today, um, and quite often, it, as as I mentioned earlier, it's it's staged approaches, which can then give you, um, if you as an energy manager in a business a real comfort uh, that is a clear approach, and I think you also have to think about yeah we always think about as oh, a big capex a capex cost as a business you know are, are the funded and, and financial um opportunities out in the market as well which could help you space that funding over a number of years which can help you through this um, tough covid period as well
0: okay no great great um advice to end on there john um yeah my- Way that um you're probably sick of the sound of my voice to have the master class <laughs> and, and the podcast Never, chat, so <laughs> i won't i won't keep you any longer but it's been a pleasure to speak to you and, and again um thanks for thanks for your help on on this masterclass
2: series uh on smart grid video as well great thanks for your time matt and thanks for the questions really enjoyed it
0: so thanks to our two interviewees for this episode uh, some great insight into the role of smart grids in building back better and this narrative around a green recovery as we usually do uh in these net zero business episodes we also round up the kind of key net zero stories um that have been developing over the past month there have been some big developments in the net zero conversation even amidst the global pandemic and i'm going to pull out the top three stories for you now So Comic Relief co-founder Richard Curtis has launched a new campaign pressuring UK pension funds to halve the emissions of their portfolios by 2030 and bring them to net zero by 2050 uh, in what is the latest in a string of green finance movements to uh, de-risk the world's economy from the threats of the climate emergency. Number two. Boots, Next and Marks & Spencers are among the 20 major retailers who have this week pledged to jointly develop a net zero roadmap for the retail sector, uh, with a target more ambitious than the national 2050 requirements. And finally, beverage giant Aid Wybina Suntory has pledged to achieve net zero greenhouse gas emissions across its entire multinational value chain by mid-century. Um, if any of those stories sound of uh, extra interest to you and you want to read more about them, they are all available uh, via the ED website. Just search Net Zero or, or just look for those um, organizations mentioned. So we're just about out of time for today's episode, and I'd like to thank you all for joining me on our latest Net Zero Business podcast. If your organization has a Net Zero story, please email me at, Matt, M-A-T-T, Mace, M-A-C-E, at fav-house.com, uh, and myself and the rest of the team will be back with our usual sustainable business cover podcast in due course uh, as we're in July. Um, Plastic Free July is, I believe, we have an episode focused around seeing we use plastics. Please do subscribe and follow uh, the ED podcast portfolio on both iTunes and Spotify and check out the ED website and search net zero business podcast for more information uh, on this episode and all net zero uh, related news. But until next time, goodbye.